The Money Show. Other people's money. You can talk to somebody regularly and bump into them and chat and um, really um, interact and have a wonderful time with them and realize just how little you actually know them. And then you invite them onto The Money Show and you start digging. And then you find interesting things. Uh, interesting things tonight about Koki Koiman, who's Executive Director and Portfolio Manager, Denka Capital. The interesting, most interesting bit, and it's uh, sadly nothing salacious, Cookie Koiman. Uh, Cookie, <laughs> you, you, you put a higher diploma in education. You did your BCom, you got your honours BCom, you got a CASA, which are kind of prerequisites for the job that you do, but why on earth did you get a, a higher diploma in education? Yeah, no, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, I actually enjoyed that very much, but... Um, the, the real reason was that when I finished matric, um, yeah, that was the only way really in which one could get a bursary, oh, and okay. uh, without a bursary, couldn't study. So I, um, I did a BCom HED to become an accounting teacher, which I actually did do for three years. I taught accountancy at uh, two high schools, um, and yeah, so uh, I started off as a, as a teacher. You're you're a very good explainer of com- complex concepts. I mean, I don't think the teaching has ever left you. Um, you know, when it comes to describing the complexities of the banking sector, or complexities of global markets, you're you're very good at distilling it down to its bare essentials. Like one of your heroes, Warren Buffett. Um, I, I wonder whether or not that doing that HDE was part of the ability for you to communicate complex ideas in an accessible way. Yeah. No. Uh, Funny enough, I, when, I, when I finished varsity, um, at the end of my BCom, I still hadn't passed accountancy and economics. I think I'd <laughs> spent too much time playing soccer. But, uh, and so um, while I was teaching, <laughs> I was still struggling to pass part-time accountancy and economics. And then suddenly when I realized, when I had to explain it to other people, it started making sense to me. And, you know, I realized how important it is to to understand something, to be able to explain it. And it really made me focus, always learn to focus on you know, how, how do things really work. Um, and then obviously later on in life, Warren Buffett had a huge impact on me. As you say, he always wrote his, his letters as if he's writing to, uh, to his sisters. And yeah, yeah. So I, I like explaining things and that was the teacher in me and that, that made me originally go for teaching. And I mean, you've given us a clue then into your childhood and it wasn't a childhood or wash with money. I mean, you've to get educated, you needed to get the scholarship. Um, so I'm, I'm taking it uh, growing up, there wasn't too much money. Where did you grow up? What, what, uh, was, uh, what, were your fam- what was your family involved in? Yeah, so my, my father decided at the, uh, at the late age to, uh, to leave Europe because this was post-Second uh, World War Europe when Europe was struggling uh, jobs were hard to come by. South Africa seemed like a land of, of sunshine and South Africa's GDP growth rate was then good. But the bottom line is uh, my parents emigrated to South Africa when I was four years old. And my father effectively at an, at an older age had to start at the bottom. So I grew up in the Western Cape in first observatory and then Woodstock. And uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, money was was never really uh, available. Um so you did learn the value of it, but but also you learned to live with what you had. 
How does that inform you when you are when you've got clients to say, all right, Cookie, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. I'm tired of the politics. I'm tired of the poverty. I'm tired of being disconnected with the future. I can't see a future. I need to emigrate. Um, do you tell them the story of your dad, and does that help people make their own decisions when it comes to restarting in a new country? Yeah, it's 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 actually fascinating. It's it's a very good point, and I often think about that, uh, and I discuss it, you know, with my family as well, and say, you know, my parents immigrate, and by the way, there were huge uh, huge waves of of people immigrating from from sure. Europe. Uh, the place was properly years. broken. I mean, this is this is post-war. This is huge cities obliterated from the face of the earth. I mean, it's proper yep. good reason to move. Yes, it was. Yeah, and 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 South Africa, country like South Africa, really looked like you know, and it was doing well. Um, and so, my parents and a lot of people like him emigrated. Most probably, you look back, it was the worst point and most probably the turning point in Europe. And they came to South Africa, which was then on the way up. And obviously, they didn't have a clue about all the issues of apartheid at that stage and, and what you know the country was actually heading into and what it was setting itself up for. But the, the, the point you're making, you're right, you know, they immigrated when then things then were at their worst and going into when it was at its best. And I think a lot of people are now maybe doing the same. Uh, leaving South Africa when it seems to be at its worst and could be the turning point and might be going to Europe when uh, or wherever uh, when it might just be at its best. And that's really the same in markets. Yeah, investors tend to go there uh, when buy shares when, they, when all the good news is there and, and sell them when all the bad news is there. And, it, and and again, we can't predict the future, and the future is uncertain, and the future is imperfect, and uh, uh, and then we've got to try and second guess it. And I suppose, from a, an investing perspective, that is what you learn to do over a long career, which starts, I think, at Old Mutual was the first job. Um, you then move to Coronation. You then help establish Sunlum Investment Management Global, um, which is part of the Sunlum Group. And then you leave there and you form where you are now, which is Denka Capital. And all of that is navigating opportunities for yourself and your family. Uh, but at the same time, learning an awful lot about trying to predict what is next for the world. And that is a, a tough thing. Yeah. Uh, interesting you know, when I look back at my career, I, I never really planned it. I mean, I obviously planned to be a teacher, but from there, yeah, becoming a CA wasn't really something I thought. Um, it was by chance that yeah, I, I, I met Prof Leon Kritzinger at UCT, and he said, well, come and come and, why don't you come and study further at UCT and lecture at the same time? And I lectured there for two years, and then they said, well, you know, you've done your honours, and now you should go and do articles. And I said, articles for what? You know, that was, <laughs> that was for CA. And then, you know, my largest client was Truiths. Uh, so I first actually worked at Truiths uh, for three years after my articles. And then a friend of mine who uh, was made CEO of, of a failing um, finance division in a large bank. And uh, he, he needed help. And we used to run together. And he said, come on, come across and help me. And that's how I got into on the banking side. But you're right. Um, once I got to Alt Mutual, and again, that was someone who lectured with me at UCT, who was always he was fascinated by the markets and always investing. And you know, we used to lunchtime stalk markets, and uh, so he 
at the end of, of, of the banking, my banking career or banking turnaround situation. He said, come and work at Old Mutual. Yeah, you'll really enjoy it. And you're right. That's really where it all started, trying to trying to judge managements and at the same time look into the future. Judge managements and look into the future. And that has informed his style of investing. Koki Kwaman, Executive Director and Portfolio Manager, Denka Capital. More with him in a moment. The Money Show. Other people's money. Former teacher, child of immigrants, uh, leaving Europe at the end of World War II, looking for a better future. Koki Koiman is the founder, executive director and portfolio manager, Denka Capital, on The Money Show with us this evening. So how does all of what you've experienced, Koki, add up to the way in which you treat your own money? You manage money on behalf of other people. There's a huge pressure there, huge expectations to manage. But when it comes to managing the Koiman Fund, finances how do you think about money yeah it's a, that's a good question i don't think about it that much uh, money funny enough although i'm in investment management and uh, and a banking specialist money never meant that much to me um, i suppose because we grew poor well if you grow up poor it can be either one of two either you can decide you want to become really rich and not have this problem anymore but yeah, it, it was more enjoying what what I did. So always I tried to make sure I enjoyed what I did. And um, and so only really when I became married did I realize, well, money is important. <laughs> because, yeah, suddenly you have a wife and you have children and you've got to start uh, looking uh, after them. So what I did with my children from quite a young age, in, in instead of... Um, yeah, buying uh, presents uh, is after year three or four. We started buying them shares, uh, and that was a, a good a lesson I learned from a good Jewish friend of mine. And you know, so for ourselves as well, uh, the mo- most important thing I always try to do is just pay off debt. Yeah. Uh, remember, I worked for Charles the Cook at Old Mutual at that stage, and Charles one day said, "You know, I've just paid off my last instalment on my house, and I've and you know." You don't know how nice it is to get your salary and have nothing going to debt. And I thought, yes, that is something to go mm. for. So essentially, uh, we've tried to live debt-free, obviously, every now and then when you had to buy a house or something big. Um, and then I just started saving initially first, investing in shares, made a few really bad mistakes there, learned hard lessons, um, also the hard way. Um and gradually then just started investing free cash in in what I had, uh, knowledge I had of, of, of companies I knew and understood. And um, at the moment, most probably 70, 80% of what I have and what our retirement is, is invested in my own fund, in fact, because I really believe that will do um, yeah, quite well. It, it was hard to convince my wife of that. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, 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 she was always looking at the share prices and always seemed to notice only when they go down. And I started <laughs> you know, to just you know, look at the statements when the dividends come through. Yeah, you know, once she started seeing the dividends, and she started seeing it, but these dividends grow sort of every year when you had good companies. And then she started buying into this this way of saving as well. So um, yeah. Do you do DIY? Because if you can't hang a picture straight and then you say to your wife, but trust me, I know what I'm doing in financial markets, she's not going to be inclined to believe you. Are you any good at DIY? 
Now, fortunately, she's the DIY person in our house. So, uh, uh, but it took a while before she believed me that it would work, and fortunately, she did. And uh, and so we 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 actually a great partnership. She she fixes things, and I do the thinking. <laughs> Um, when, when it comes to when it comes to managing uh, sort of family portfolios, though, and and having your money, most of it invested in your own fund, how then do you stay objective in a time of, of panic and crisis? I mean, whether it be the two thousand and eight financial crisis, whether it be the crisis we went through last year, where regardless of your training and regardless of or everything you've read, you're the, the you, know, you must have got a, a, a terrible feeling in the bottom of your gut in uh, March, April last year when markets collapsed by 30% everywhere. Yeah, no, March, March, April last year was fine. Uh, yeah, oh. the worst was 19, <laughs> 1987. <laughs> yeah, why was 87, was, why, why was 1987 worse than 08 and uh, the most recent crisis, which most of us will remember? Because it was the first one where I actually had money invested. Okay. <laughs> and at that stage, <laughs> and at that stage, you could still, you know, I still used to invest on borrowed money, and uh, I never forget on the day my son was born, um, I stood looking at. Then we didn't have, you know, uh, Bloomberg's etc. You still had to look at the newspaper to see the prices of the previous day, and I stood there looking at the share price movements of the previous day. And it was it was bad. It was down thirty percent uh, yeah. per day or one day, and was on borrowed money most of it as well. And um, yeah, so since then, been through a few crises, and and then you learn that it always comes back. And and you know what I always try to do is is build, understand things, and build models, and and track back and see what which shares tend to come back after a crisis and you realize they always come back so this this one we did nobody well we certainly didn't see COVID coming but when it went down that much I, I yeah this one was was actually very good for us we realized this is totally overdone it's, and it's buying time uh, and that's really I suppose for people to overcome uh market falls and also exuberance like we have in the cryptocurrencies now is to, to look at history and your own history and learn from that and see uh, the cycles repeat themselves. They most certainly do. People get caught out each and every single time, but you don't dare say anything horrible about cryptocurrencies because you get people saying horrible things about you and telling you what an idiot you are because you don't understand anything regardless of of your experience. Do you have fun with money? I mean, outside of investment markets, do you spend money on stuff, on things? I'm taking it that you've, you've learned from Warren Buffett and lived in the same house for 47 years, but that may or may not be true. <laughs> Yeah, close. I, I had the same car for like 18 years. Oh, and, uh, what a guy. We've only really, <laughs> my son finally convinced me and said, you know, that you need a new car. It's, uh, but yeah, um, no, you are right. I mean, in terms of the houses, we lived in the same house now for also like 20 years and 20 years before that. But yeah, I have learned over the years, it, it is when I finally bought a new car, bought an Audi and uh, Q5, well, it was fun. That was, and uh, you know, later we eventually succumbed to uh, the temptation and bought a holiday house on uh, on the coast close to George. And yeah, that is, that is yeah. So uh, I have no qualms about, you know, when we, when we do go uh, to the Kruger to go and enjoy that or overseas on holiday, 
um, yeah, but will always be, I suppose, it's just built in you. It, we're wired, or I'm wired that way, uh, to always look at value. Yeah, so I'll, I'll do it when, when it when it makes financial sense as well. When you succumbed to the uh, to the family pressure to trade in the eighteen year old, what was the eighteen year old car? Everybody wants one of those. Chrysler. To dr- uh, a yeah, Chrysler. it was a Chrysler. One of those Chrysler. Yeah, oh, it was a, it was a great car. A lot of power. <laughs> but it started breaking up regularly. We wanted yeah. to go on holiday once. It broke, and then they said, you know, you can't do this. Um, yeah. No, but wait, so when you bought the the new car. 18 years after buying the previous one, did you sort of go, geez, like, I must get out of this mindset of holding on for too long because technology moves on. I mean, the, the difference between their driving experience must have been huge, the safety factors, all of these things. Did you sort of have a quiet word with yourself or were you happy with the fact that you'd held on until you couldn't hold on anymore before making the new purchase? Yeah, in, in, in terms of shares as well, uh, emotionally, the big problem one can have is loyalty. And yeah. uh, I had loyalty towards the car as well. <laughs> so I actually did, felt bad for a while. And it served me so well, yeah. <laughs> do, do you buy cars for cash or do you buy on credit? Yeah, no, I, I, I bought the Audi cash then. Um, yeah, mm. saved up enough. And I had to buy, sell a few shares. But, um, yeah, you buy a car... Uh, on credit, the interest rate is is just so you know where you work that out. It's it's a very silly decision, um, and that I learned earlier as well. If you if you buy something big like that, then rather go smaller, um, yeah. and that's why you know we also I worked out that generally it, it, it's better to buy a car and drive it for a long time. Uh, but okay, that's a different argument. But but cash is definitely if you can, and if you can't, then you should buy something smaller. So that's what I taught my children as well. And have they listened? I mean, do, do they listen to the money lessons, to dad's money lessons? Because a lot of kids, takes them a while to realize how clever their parents are. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I have three children and they differ. And they both had the same, all three had the same lessons. And they took them to heart at, at different stages of, of their life. Um, and I won't identify, well, the people who know me will know who, who I'm talking about, who not. But yeah, my one son just immediately got it. He whenever we gave him pocket money, he saved it. And the other one always just spent it. And they had the same lessons in life. I suppose mm. that's, that's, you know, the different personalities. Do you believe in the marshmallow test? The marshmallow test carried out in the 1950s that kids were, you know, kids were, were given a marshmallow and that they could resist, they were given two. And the kids who ate the marshmallow quickly were less financially successful in their later years when it was revisited versus the kids who could delay gratification. Yeah, I, I know Kahneman actually refers to that in his book as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's it's a fascinating experiment, and I and so far my my observation has been it, it certainly it 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 is quite a good predictor as well. Now I suppose uh, you know one can the main thing in life is to to look at yourself and to be your own judge and see what you do right and what you do wrong. That's really difficult, and to learn from your mistakes. So I suppose a child who who battles and who wants instant gratification can over time learn. Uh, that it's not a good strategy, but I suppose it, it takes a very special person to to change a deep-rooted character trait like that. Absolutely. Koki Kwemo, what a pleasure to learn more about you. Thank you for your wisdom this evening on other people's money. Koki Kwemo, Executive Director and Portfolio Manager at Denker Capital.